This UCSD TV program is a presentation of University of California Television for educational and non commercial use only. So what I want to talk to you today about is the, what I call, Rob White, my co longtime co-author, and I call the tribal social instincts uh, hypothesis to explain uh, human cooperation. So this is a, a particular proposal. It's a little bit Baroque. There are a bunch of pieces, moving parts here, but maybe that's uh, uh, reasonable for a complicated organism, and it follows up on Patricia's remark that culture uh, perhaps plays an important uh, role in the evolution of human capacities to uh, form large societies, to cooperate, to uh, engage in altruistic uh, uh, behaviors. So the argument here is, is as follows. I'm going to argue that uh, uh, cultural evolution is a Darwinian process, so that culture is a system that evolves in its own right. Uh, it's a little bit like uh, the genetic inheritance system, but it's a little bit different, and uh, interesting th things happen, uh, particularly because of the differences. And then that uh, genes and, and culture uh, co-evolve, that uh, the, 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 the evolution of these two processes influence one another, that we're bound up, uh, our phenotype is, is bound up proximally in genetic and cultural causes, and that over evolutionary time, uh, these two uh, evolutionary processes interact in, in strong uh, ways. It's not so, they can't be uh, dissected apart, and they, they don't uh, operate in isolation. Uh, I'm going to argue that uh, cultural evolution is faster than genetic evolution, that that's really what it's for, is a, a system of adaptation to attract uh, rapidly changing environmental processes, and that uh, as a consequence of that, it's going to tend to be the leading process in this coevolutionary process. First, culture is going to change, and then genes are going to change in response, so that the uh, genes are kind of in the driver's seat, at least late in human evolution. And obviously, as humans became more and more cultural over the last few million years, this, uh, the uh, tendency for, uh, for culture to have a big and leading impact will have increased. And I don't want to get into too much of a, of a debate about the exact time scales here, but uh, I'll try to convince you that, that at least uh, that, that this is a plausible uh, thing uh, to have uh, have happened. Uh, so uh, the idea then that uh, in the Pleistocene, humans were selected at the level of uh, groups based on cultural variations, and then that elements of our uh, social psychology uh, co-evolved uh, to produce uh, docility and prosociality. We've just heard ab about, uh, in the last couple of talks, about the, uh, uh, the proximal mechanisms by which these kinds of things can be implemented. That doesn't seem to be, at least in principle, a big uh, problem. 
So the idea that uh, cultural evolution is Darwinian, this was appreciated uh, by Darwin and, and uh, students of linguistic history way back in the, in the 19th century. Both languages and uh, organic forms uh, seem to uh, evolve by the descent with modification. And this uh, idea uh, uh, didn't do very much work until uh, 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 the last uh, quarter of the 20th century or so when a number of us got interested in, in trying to... Uh, uh, study formally the cultural system of inheritance as a uh, as an inheritance system and, and try to draw out the uh, evolutionary implications of it. And as I already mentioned, uh, cultural evolution is is rapid. It's rapid because uh, cultural evolution doesn't depend just upon random variation and and natural selection to uh, uh, provide the main motor of, of evolution. Uh, the uh, cultural system inheritance is, is coupled to our decision-making capacities. To some extent, we can pick and choose amongst uh, uh, what uh, cultural items we borrow from other people. We can uh, try to figure out what's successful and borrow that differentially. We can sometimes in, uh, invent things that... Uh, 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 through processes of individual learning that are better than random variation. And so these decision-making forces uh, tend to make uh, cultural evolution faster than, uh, than genetic evolution. And, and we have an idea about why the uh, uh, climate variation in the Pleistocene is the original uh, uh, motor that uh, drove the evolution of cultural capacities in humans. There are a bunch of other differences between the cultural inheritance system of, uh, of humans and, uh, and the genetic system inheritance or capacity for more than two parents. We're sort of polysexual, right? We can, we can make cultural love to most anybody we, uh, we uh, take a fancy to uh, uh, where, and you know, we can have lots of cultural lovers where uh, uh, children uh, can only have uh, two parents. Uh, uh, so there's a fair by now a fairly well-developed theory that's uh, uh, derived from these kinds of uh, considerations, and I, I don't have time to do more than give that uh, uh, brief uh, summary. Now, the idea that uh, genes and culture co-evolve, for a long time, uh, our best example of this, or one of our best examples, was adult lactose absorption. Maybe many of you know this uh, story. So in most humans, like most animals, uh, at the, about the time of the age of weaning, we stop uh, uh, secreting eating lactase in our, in our gut because uh, lactose, milk sugar, is, is uh, what uh, 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 babies have from their, from their mother. It's an important source of calories in, in mammalian milk. And once we're weaned, we have no more use for that enzyme. Now, in a few uh, uh, human populations, uh, Northwest Europeans, for example, and uh, some dairying populations in Africa, cattle-keeping populations in Africa, uh, people do drink a lot of fluid milk, and they have evolved uh, adult lactase uh, secretion. So there's a, and, and presumably the the uh, business of dairying came first, and then people uh, kept cows and uh, managed somehow to use uh, uh, milk, and uh, and then uh, the, they weren't getting the advantage of the uh, uh, milk sugar calories out of the milk, and so there was selection pressure for humans to evolve adult lactase 
uh, a secretion. It's an easy thing to evolve. The, the uh, regulatory enzyme is just broken. It's broken in two different ways, one way in Africans and one way in, in uh, Northwest Europeans, at least uh, two ways, there may be more. Uh, then there are these, uh, in this diagram here up in the upper right are the uh, percent lactose absorbers as a function of whether the population is daring or not. The uh, Number two up there are Northwest Europeans. Uh, number one down there, East Asians, a, a whole collection of people, Africans who don't uh, have daring and have low uh, percentage of lactose absorbance as adults. And then there are these intermediate populations typically that make use of milk products uh, uh, that like yogurt where the uh, lactose Toast is uh, fermented uh, uh, by bacteria rather than in the in the human gut. So you, the the intermediate populations there give us a picture of how this might have have evolved. Uh, that people started with uh, uh, those kinds of products, uh, milk products, and then uh, the ability to to get uh, uh, to digest lactose evolved uh, more or less gradually. So this is a case where agriculture, dairying, cattle keeping came and uh, uh, and drove the evolution of a dietary adaptation to this, uh, to this cultural uh, practice. Now, it, it seems uh, in some recent evidence, at least, that, that this is just a tip of a, of a great big iceberg. So this is some data uh, reviewed by John Hawks and co-authors in PNAS a few years ago uh, that uh, shows a huge wave of uh, uh, selected variants that, that occurred in the, apparently in the aftermath of agriculture. Uh, some of these are also classic variants like uh, resistance to various kinds of alleles for resistance to malaria, which we also uh, think is very recent and grew up with the expansion of human populations under agriculture uh, to uh, uh, process. When human populations became numerous, then we acquired many epidemic diseases, and therefore we acquired things like sickle cell and uh, for resistance to malaria and many other alleles for resistance to malaria, and probably lots of other things. So most of these uh, dots in this diagram that suggest that there's this big wave of uh, of uh, response to uh, selection in Africa and Europe uh, 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 just after the evolution of agriculture. Most of the functional significance of those is dimly understood, so we still don't know what most of that's all about. And in fact, there's some considerable controversy about whether the uh, techniques for detecting these uh, selective sweeps are yet very accurate or whether selective sweeps are the main kind of response. But at least there's a uh, strong suggestion here that uh, uh, in the case of the origins of agriculture, there was a, 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 a huge wave of coevolutionary response to this uh, cultural change. So we have some kind of confidence that this kind of process can work. And the question is, did it happen uh, further back in human evolution uh, to uh, drive the evolution of, for want of a better word, our social instincts, the innate components of our social psychology, the, our, our docility and other uh, features that make our, uh, our ability to run these cooperative societies uh, possible. So uh, the Rob's and my argument is that humans are uh, susceptible to, uh, uh, uniquely susceptible to group selection. Maybe unique is too strong a word. That uh, uh, the cultural variation that is so predominant in our species is uh, more susceptible to uh, group selection than is the case for uh, genes. This is a famous quote from the uh, Descent of Man where Darwin argues that uh, the selection of tribe against tribe would uh, lead to the evolution of, of uh, uh, fidelity, obedience, courage, sympathy, uh, patriotism, and these uh, uh, virtues of, uh, of, uh, that make social 
the life possible, and that this would be a form of natural selection, he said. Uh, uh, so he was treating this as a special case. Darwin wasn't a, uh, a, a, a wholesale group selectionist at all, and, uh, but he didn't really put his finger, I don't think, on why humans are a special case. So why is it that uh, uh, cultural evolution might be uh, susceptible to uh, uh, group selection, more susceptible than is the case of genes. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Robin, I think that uh, culture originally rose as an adaptation to uh, uh, Pleistocene climatic chaos. So I don't know if you follow this, but the, uh, in the last glacial, there were these huge uh, variations in, in climate, and it turns out that these have been apparently been ramping up over the last uh, few uh, glacial cycles. So uh, humans and other animals have been getting bigger brains over this uh, uh, period of time, and so the uh, 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 organisms in general have been under pressure to to uh, to adapt to a more variable environments, and in the case of humans, this took the form of this uh, of using this uh, uh, faster system of inheritance to track these environmental variations. So that our advantage uh, relative to other animals is that we can deploy culture to evolve uh, adaptations to uh, ephemeral kinds of environmental uh, variations, or resist uh, better the uh, uh, catastrophes that ensue when the environment uh, uh, changes uh, uh, regularly, or excuse me, changes at high amplitude and irregularly. Uh, now, there are features of the cultural system that uh, predispose this variation to uh, uh, group selection. First is just the rapidity of it itself. Uh, uh, so two isolated or semi-isolated human populations will tend to, to diverge faster than to, than to uh, other animals' populations, or for that matter, the human cultural variation will diverge faster than, the, than our uh, genetic variation. There's also the, this uh, problem that, or this interesting feature that, that uh, social uh, games often have multiple equilibria. So two separated populations are likely to get, if they're coordination equilibria, driving on their left-hand side of the road versus the right-hand side of the road, uh, separate populations will get on different equilibria, and then it'll be hard for them to get off of these equilibria. So uh, social interactions uh, will tend to stabilize uh, equilibria. Uh, we've studied a process we call uh, a conformist transmission. If you tend to, uh, to uh, imitate the common type in, in your population. There are good adaptive reasons for supposing you might often want to do this. Uh, that discriminates against migrants uh, or other rare types that in the population. It tends to, uh, uh, to uh, stabilize whatever uh, uh, cultural feature becomes common in a particular group. So this is an engine for uh, protecting groups from the effects of my cultural effects of migration and preserving variation uh, between groups. Uh, so the whole problem of, of group selection is, is, uh, is preserving variation between groups. Uh, a little bit of genetic migration goes a long way toward uh, dissolving uh, uh, the variation between groups. And so the, uh, the question is, can uh, cultural evolution pr uh, preserve more variation? Uh, success and prestige biases can uh, generate variation uh, uh, between uh, uh, groups. Uh, so uh, prestige has a runaway process, uh, for example, so that we can get uh, groups diverging as, as prestige criteria uh, uh, diverge. Uh, uh, punishment uh, is uh, powerful. We've already heard about the importance of punishment for punishing cheaters. But aside from punishing cheaters, uh, punishment uh, 
mechanisms have a tendency to stabilize anything. So Rob and I have an old paper in which we argue that uh, a punishment will stabilize cooperation or anything else. If, every, if we have moralistic punishment, if, if uh, most of us are willing to punish people uh, who don't wear ties to meetings like this, uh, which would have obtained a, uh, a couple of generations ago, we'd all been wearing, all the men would have been wearing ties, a few of them still are, not many. Uh, uh, we won that battle. Uh, uh, <laughs> But so, so you can stabilize any silly thing, right? If, if the majority of people are willing to punish people for doing any silly thing, then that will stabilize that silly thing, or maybe not so silly things. So, so it, it, again, it's a process for uh, generating and maintaining variation between groups. We mark the boundaries of groups uh, uh, symbolically. So uh, uh, we, uh, uh, we may define in-groups and out-groups in, in terms of things like dialect and dress and, and other things. Things, and uh, that has a tendency to retard the migration of cultural variants across uh, these groups. And then uh, the, uh, the, all these things uh, tend to lead to the evolution of what sociologists and some economists and political scientists call institutions. They're, they're uh, characteristic forms of social organization that everyone, in a, in a, or most people at least, in a, in a social system conform to because there are sanctions for not conforming to them and rewards for conforming to them. So much of our social life is organized around institutions, and, and these are really just characteristic of the different societies. So they're, uh, it's, it's almost as if uh, humans are, are different species in terms of their social organization as far as institutions are concerned. We have one kind, somebody else has another kind, and, and the, even if individuals migrate back and forth, they'll tend to conform to the institutions of the host society that they, uh, that they migrate into. Their genes will come, but their culture uh, will tend not to. And, and then secondarily, genes adapted to uh, life in tribes uh, by this process of gene culture coevolution. That's our argument. Uh, it's certainly true, I think, that uh, anthropologists have told us uh, since forever that uh, uh, humans are hugely variable culturally. So, uh, uh, but anthropologists, uh, for the most part, haven't been interested in putting numbers on things. And uh, uh, people like, uh, like uh, uh, me are really interested in putting numbers on things. So this is an attempt to put numbers on the uh, uh, genetic variation between human groups compared to the cultural variation between human groups. So Adrian Bell, a student of ours at Davis, uh, uh, got together the data from the World Values Survey. That's the gray bars there, representing probably mostly cultural uh, variation. The, the uh, dark bars are from Cavalli-Sforza and uh, uh, Feldman's uh, uh, classic, Cavalli-Sforza and co-authors, not Feldman, uh, uh, treatise on human uh, uh, genetic variation. So these are neighboring groups. So what would be relevant for, for group selection would be neighboring groups. So this is the, and we use the, the same statistic to analyze both sets of data, FST, the proportion of variation between groups relative to the total variation. And you can see that, that the amount of cultural variation is on the order of a uh, of a, 10 times greater than the uh, uh, genetic variation. So there does seem to be a lot more cultural variation uh, between groups than genetic variation. And this doesn't take account of things like, uh, like institutions that don't show up uh, directly in, in attitudes. So uh, uh, cooperative behavior is, is common in tribal groups. We have many examples of it. Food sharing's already been mentioned uh, uh, today. And... Uh, uh, <clears throat> There are lots of other examples. Warfare, uh, there are real deaths in warfare. 
and uh, uh, trade uh, is important. Uh, Peter Hammerstein uh, remarked that to, to make uh, a trade and economic systems go, you need to have third-party enforcements of contracts. That's a cooperative adventure. Venture. The state usually organizes that sort of thing and pays judges and, and so on to, uh, to implement those kinds of things. So the uh, trade and the division of labor are, are, co are cooperative enterprises and the enforcement of moral, uh, moral norms. Probably these things go back a long way. This is uh, uh, evidence of symbolic marking of groups in the Upper Paleolithic, these famous uh, uh, so-called Venus figurines that are stylistically fairly uniform all over the, over the whole of Europe, as if this was one, uh, one giant ethnic uh, group, giant area, probably not that many uh, people. But this, so the, uh, the period of time over which this coevolutionary process has gone on could be uh, quite long. So what is the evidence that there are uh, innate uh, uh, social psychological uh, co-evolved mechanisms? Uh, the uh, uh, group uh, that was led by uh, uh, Joe Henrik, whose I think name has come up uh, here earlier, uh, he did an a, a ambitious uh, study with a whole slew of co-authors, mostly anthropologists who studied these uh, 15 uh, uh, different groups, small-scale uh, societies. So they were interested in, in uh, people's propensity to cooperate across these groups. And they used a, uh, the ultimatum game, which was devised by a fellow named Werner Guth to, uh, do people know the ultimatum game? Most people probably do. So the ultimatum game is that I'm given a, a sum of money and I can divide it uh, uh, any way I want with Sarah. And, uh, and then, I, so I make an offer to Sarah. And Sarah, if she's not satisfied with the offer, can say to hell with you. And, uh, and then we, neither of us get anything. So the, uh, this game was devised because the selfish rational optimization uh, argument is very clear about what uh, uh, we should do. Usually there's, to, to, for technical reasons, there's a minimum offer I have to make, say, 50 cents on the, out of $10. And so if I'm rational and selfish, and I'm confident that Sarah's rational and selfish, uh, uh, I will offer Sarah the minimum, 50 cents, knowing that uh, 50 cents is better than nothing, and, and Sarah knows this, and she's rational, so she wouldn't throw away 50 cents just to spite me. Uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, what people actually do is uh, uh, quite a bit different. Uh, so these are mean offers. Philadelphia, Pittsburgh there, uh, rather, is, uh, is typical of, of American college students. We heard uh, uh, American college students uh, properly disparaged as, uh, as uh, experimental subjects by Christoph. And, and so, uh, but you can see that there are some uh, people who make even higher offers, offers averaging above 50% in the La Malera, and then down to the Kichu and the Machiganga and some groups where the, the mean uh, offer is, is four, uh, 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 well, excuse me, the uh, quarter of the, uh, of the total, about 25%. Uh, uh, and this is a distrib the distribution of offers, if you're interested in that. There's almost always a mode at, at a 50-50 uh, split. And in lots of societies like Pittsburgh, if, the, if I were to offer 
I don't know exactly what Sarah would, uh, would take, but I'd be taking my chances uh, with the average American undergraduate if I offered uh, 25% of the, uh, the stake. It's safest to offer 50%. Hardly anybody re- rejects uh, 50% offers. Now, again, the prediction is that, that uh, uh, if people were underneath it all rational and selfish, then at least some societies should show uh, uh, offers of uh, zero or the, or the minimum. And there don't seem to be any such society. So this is taken, this is, the argument here is that this is evidence of some kind of instinct for uh, fair play, that, uh, that humans are, uh, tend, have a tendency to, to engage in fair play, albeit with a huge amount of cultural variation from one to the next. That's it. Thank you very much for your attention. <laughs>